Crab's Journal 15. The first frost of the year surprised me. When I emerged from the tent one morning at dawn, it was my turn to start the fire and make the tea. The whole campsite was coated with what looked like frozen mist. As soon as the sun cleared the horizon, the frost quickly turned to moisture. But as the wood caught fire, I thought about the time of the year, and it seemed that the days were a little shorter. The lake water was chilly, almost too cold for comfortable swimming, and we wore heavier clothing these days. Soon, the trees traded in their many shades of green for the colors of autumn. Bright yellow on the birches and poplars, flaming red and orange on the hardwoods, blood red on the sumacs. Still later, after the cold began to pinch the leaves from the branches, cold bitter rains fell from leaden skies and chevrons of geese and ducks were on the move. Some rafted up out on the main lake at night. One morning we were sitting in the tent, waiting out a miserably cold drizzle. That morning there had been ice on our bay shore. Crab, Mary said, after sitting in her thinking pose for a while, I think it's time. Nah, I replied, misunderstanding her. Still raining to beat hell out there. Um, no, no, I mean it's time we planned your re-entry into civilization. She hunched her shoulders, gathering her sleeping bag tighter around her. A sinking feeling went through me. I knew this was it. I had been expecting it. It had snowed several days before, melting when it hit the ground, and snow must have triggered her thoughts too. I stuffed my hand in my pocket for my pipe, and I said, try not to sound whiny and pleading like a child, I don't want to go, Mary. I cleared my throat, looked into those gray eyes, and called up all the courage I could, all the persuasiveness I could. Mary, I know you won't like this, but I have to say it. I love you. I want to stay with you. I don't want to go back. She began to speak, but I jumped from a sitting position to my knees, my sleeping bag falling away, and took her shoulders in my hands and rushed on. I've got nothing to go back to, really. I'm telling the truth. You know that. I don't want to leave you here. You're where I want to be. And her gray eyes slowly filled with tears as she sat silently. The water magnified the gray for a moment. Then the tears overflowed and ran down her cheeks. I knew this would happen, she said in a small voice that seemed to come from somewhere else. I knew I shouldn't have kept you here. I'm sorry, Crab. It's just that I was so lonely. Don't be. Don't be sorry. Look, isn't there another way? Couldn't you, couldn't you come with me? No, she whispered. Impossible. We were silent for a moment. The rain pattered sharply on the tent. Crab, she said finally, you have to go. You see that, don't you? Yeah, I see that. And thanks for what you said, she continued. I love you too. You're a fine man. It's strange. The way she said that, I knew she didn't mean romance love, the kind I felt for her. She meant friends love, and that was almost better. Romances seem to come and go nowadays, but good friends stay that way. So I was filled with fighting feelings, sadder than I've ever been that I had to finally go, happier than I've ever been that she loved me, the person I wanted most in the world to love me. So I didn't say anything. I moved my hands from her shoulders and hugged her. She held me tightly for a long time, and we both cried. It was a corny scene, I guess, if you weren't involved. Two days later, 
we began what was our last trek together. We headed out on a chilly but sunny morning and had to break through a thin layer of ice on the surface of the bay until we got to the main lake. You'd never guess where we were going. We were going on a raid. That's right, a raid. Not kid stuff either. This was for real. Mary's plan, as usual, was sensible with a little touch of craziness thrown in. We were out of staples like salt, flour, and stuff like that, mainly because my presence in the household made the food go twice as quickly. I wondered one day where we'd get more, and that led to wondering where my companion had got the stuff we were using. I stole it, Mary said casually. What? You ripped off a miracle mart? I laughed. She laughed too. We hadn't been doing much of that lately. No, she continued, from a hunt camp. Just a minute. She took a quick trip into the bush and returned lugging the mystery pack and plunked it down by the fire. Pulling the leather straps free, she took out a map and spread it on the ground. She knelt down, and so did I. I guess I can show you where you are now, since you're leaving, she said. The map showed in detail the whole area where we were situated. Mary pointed out our lake, the bay where our home site was hidden away from the world, Thanks to my newly gained map reading ability, I was able to trace my route from Ithaca camp. What an idiot I had been. Mary also pointed out why this was a good place to hide. There were no roads for miles and miles, not even logging tracks, and no canoe routes came through the area, mainly because of the dangerous nature of the rivers that entered and exited our lake. See this square dot? She indicated with her finger near the bottom, almost off the map. This is the hunt camp. It's about 400 yards from this medium-sized lake that's part of a chain of lakes. They're just off the map, down here. Last spring, I ran out of grub, so I got some here. They've got a huge storage area in the kitchen, and the place doesn't appear to be used in the winter. I paid for the stuff, of course. Left a note saying I was a trapper passing through and got caught short of supplies. It looks a long way off, I said. It's two full days travel in good weather. Now, here's my plan. If we're lucky, nobody will be around. There might be, since this is duck season, but we'll have to hope. I will grab my food, and once I'm on my way, you can follow the road out of the map, out of the camp, to a main road, and sooner or later, you'll get a lift. It's the only sensible way I can think of to get you out. So, there we were, headed out on a big caper at the end of which Mary and I would separate forever. We, we cashed, cashed the canoe at the south end of the lake in a stand of balsam, and I shouldered the big pack. It was light, containing only dried food, bedrolls, rainwear, and another empty canoe pack for the food. Mary planned to fill both packs, hide one, hide one about a mile from the camp, and return for it. We made good time. The leaves being down, the bush was fairly open. We traveled over every kind of terrain you could imagine. A couple of hours from our lake, we began to run into a series of high, sharp ridges, like fingers laid across the landscape. They were dark, gray granite, patched with small stands of sumac and scrub oak. It was tough country to travel because between the fingers were swamps and beaver dams, and the fingers themselves rose almost vertically in places. I felt like a mountain climber. Occasionally, we walked along the edges of cliffs three stories high. We spent the night on top of one of those ridges tired as hell, under a clear sky dusted with stars. Next morning was cold and clear. A couple of hours got us into gentler landscape, rolling hills of hardwoods and a few creeks to cross. 
The only thing that slowed us down was the occasional patch of swampy ground that we had to skirt. There was still absolutely no sign of humans, and I felt like a courier de bois. Just about dusk, we began to approach the lake. The land began to descend, and we ran into softwoods, evergreens, and birch. Mary stopped just before we broke free of the trees. She pointed across the kidney-shaped lake, and there on the far, far shore, on a small promontory of maybe two acres, was a group of long buildings huddled in the trees. Smoke was coming from one of the chimneys.